so many call it today. It's actually the promised land. It's God's land, and he has promised to give it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel. And he's promised to uh, give them a king, a ruler. That's the Davidic covenant, that, that, that this seed of the woman would be a descendant of David, this one who would rule over this kingdom uh, really for forever. The New Testament makes very clear that that person is Jesus Christ. And there's also a new covenant that God promised that he would forgive the sins of the people of Israel because he is creating a righteous kingdom. This isn't just a a kingdom that's very militarily powerful and is able to enforce its will on the rest of, of the world by invading them and conquering them militarily. No, God is creating a righteous kingdom. That's the whole point. Remember a world without sin that, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan would eradicate sin and all of its consequences. And a part of that, of course, is uh, the forgiveness of sins and giving people a new heart indwelling them with his Holy Spirit. That's all part of the new covenant that we will celebrate later at the communion table. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one who did that, who, who he will fulfill all of these promises, really. And he did everything for the church as well. We are, we play a role in this because God isn't, isn't in the business of just saving one race of people or one nation of people. He is in the business of saving everyone, anyone who will trust in him. Our uh, psalm this morning kind of made a reference to that as well. If you'll remember that, that those who uh, people have blessings promised to them if they will believe in the Lord, whether they are of the house of Israel, the house of Aaron, or anyone. It's that Psalm 115 says, anyone who will trust in the Lord can be blessed. And that's where we as the church fit into this program, that according to Ephesians chapter 3, we have an inheritance with God, that is through Jesus Christ, this the one who overcame the world for us by placing our faith in him, we will have a place in this kingdom. The same way, incidentally, that the nation of Israel will have the faithful remnant of Israel will have a place in this kingdom also, not because they did a great job of keeping the law, not because God chose them in eternity past, but because they will believe in him. They will put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then they will enter into this kingdom period. Now, the Bible is very clear, Old and New Testament, that before this kingdom takes place, there is a time of unprecedented trouble and uh, angst, for the world, we call that time, we refer to that time as the tribulation period. And it will take the tribulation period, seven years of intense persecution, trial, and tribulation for the nation of Israel, the faithful remnant, to turn from their law and legalism to faith 
in Jesus Christ. And when they do that, he will come again. They will be spiritually saved because they've trusted in Christ. They will also be physically saved because the nations, all the nations of the world, will have turned on them at that point. Jesus will be their only way out, their only source of hope. They will believe in him. He will come again, Revelation 19, and the kingdom will come to the world. That's very important for us to remember. That's the, that's the end goal, essentially. The end goal is that the nation of Israel would believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And Old Testament scriptures make very clear it will take a time of intense persecution and tribulation for them to do that. And then he will come again and establish his kingdom. We should not approach the book of Revelation as if it is a standalone book and we just turn to that, to this book, and we'll understand everything that God has in store for the future. That's a very, a very bad mistake to make because you, you won't, you don't understand all of this. You don't understand all the reasons why these things are happening. So we will, we will reiterate this as we move through this section of the book. Uh, also important to realize that the book of Revelation is largely chronological, not completely, but largely it follows a timeline of events moving through this primarily this section of the book that we are in this seven year tribulational period is what is being described from Revelation 6 to Revelation 19 with a few uh, breaks in the action to describe events that have already taken place or to look forward to things that will happen in the future. And typically those happen after a six, after the sixth seal, after the sixth trumpet. And even after the sixth bowl, there's kind of a, a looking at, at events as well. So these seal, the, these series of judgments are not all talking about the same thing. That's one theory. It's called recapitulation, uh, that the seals are talking about the seven-year tribulation. The trumpet judgments are also talking about the entire seven years. The bowls are talking about the seven years. Again, that's, that's not an accurate way to look at this. It's better to see them uh, as chronologically laying out the events of the tribulation. So today we will uh, try to do a quick review of what we looked at last week in uh, peace and war, and then we will have famine and death, and then faithfulness in the fire as we make our way through this information. Last time we saw that there was a pseudo peace at the beginning of the tribulation followed by a war. Notice Revelation chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 it says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Uh, and we'll, we'll stop there with that. Again, here's our, here's our timeline. We are living in the church age. I'd put us pretty, 
pretty close over here <laughs> to the end of the church age. This arrow ought to be a little, it may look like it's in the, some part of the tribulation. That's not true. The, the, it could go right here at the top of this parenthesis, that arrow that represents the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is the event that ends the church age, and it doesn't begin the tribulation. Notice we didn't see anything there in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2 that said, oh, the church is raptured, and then uh, these things start to happen. No, it's already happened before these events because the, the events that the, the event that kicks off this seven-year tribulation period is this, seal number one, a pseudo-peace, that comes to the world. And we saw this last time uh, that, it, it, that when the first seal is broken, a rider on a white horse comes and he has a bow. Notice there's no mention of arrows. And he has a crown, a stephanos, if you will. It's not a, a diadem is another word for a crown. This is a stephanos or kind of an earned, if you will, an earned crown would be the, the implication of that. Uh, and he's coming in peace. It is a pseudo-peace. Even though it says that, he's, that he, he came to conquering and to conquer, this is an indication because seal number two tells us that peace is taken from the earth, specifically in Revelation 6-4. That means there has to be peace for peace to be taken from the earth. Seal number one is is an indication that there is one person, the Antichrist. This is not Jesus Christ on the white horse. This is an imitation Christ. That's why he's on a white horse. That's why he has a crown, kind of a man-made crown, if you will. Uh, And he has a bow indicating that he does have some sort of military uh, strength backing up what he has to say. And he's bringing peace, but we already know that it's not a lasting peace. It's not the peace that comes from Jesus Christ when he comes again to the earth, but it is an imitation peace. Uh, And we looked at a lot of these references last time. We won't take the time to do that, except for Daniel 9, 27, If you remember, there are some very important passages for understanding prophecy. The the entire book of Daniel is one of those. Uh, Daniel 9, 24 and 27 specifically is a very important passage that, that lays out this fact that this tribulation period that we're talking about here is seven years. And that primarily comes from this passage, Daniel 9, 27, the the Uh, verses 24 through 27, where the Lord is laying out the fact that Israel has 490 years of history left for it in God's eyes, or their timing anyway, from the time of Daniel, a little bit after the time of Daniel, until he is going to come again. And again, that last seven years even here in Daniel 9, we see there's something about that. It is not going to be a completely pleasant time for the nation 
of Israel. Daniel 9.27, speaking of the Antichrist, it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. If you'll remember that week is representative of years, one week of years, that's seven years. Uh, But in the middle of the week, in other words, after three and a half years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. There's an indication it's not going to be all uh, fun and games for Israel. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Uh, So there, again... This, this, what we're studying isn't the book of Daniel, so we won't take a lot of time to describe everything that's going on there, but it's describing a covenant, that, a covenant of peace that is made with the many. I take that to be really the entire world is what is being described there. It's of course pointed at Israel, but that Hebrew phrase, uh, the many, is is one that that refers to the world, uh, like Isaiah 53 that says that the Messiah will die for the sins of the many. He didn't just die for the sins of, of Israel. He died for the sins of the entire world. Uh, this Antichrist is going to make some kind of covenant with the world that obviously deals with the nation of Israel. For one, they're going to have a temple where they can offer sacrifices, uh, that wouldn't happen today. There's a large portion of the world that would not allow the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, to have a temple on the Temple Mount and conduct sacrifices. The Jewish people are not today allowed to go to the Temple Mount on the Temple Mount and pray. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, that's why they spend their time at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, praying because they're not allowed to go onto the Temple Mount. This indicates that they will one day in the future be able to have sacrifices and offerings there. However, at the midpoint of the, of the week, of the seven years, the Antichrist will break his word to the nation of Israel and will set himself up as the one to be worshipped. We saw that there is going to be a a great deception. Matthew 24 and verse 5, Jesus talked about it in the Olivet Discourse that many were going to come at this time claiming to be Christ. And he warns the people of Israel, don't believe in them. Uh, But he says that indicating Matthew 24, 5 and with Daniel 9, 27 and what we're seeing here, Uh, they're probably going to believe in him. They're going to be deceived. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, indicating that that the Jewish people, the the world is going to see it as being peace and safety. And then destruction comes upon them. They are going to be deceived. The apostasy, uh, I personally believe to be the nation of Israel trusting in someone else as their Messiah besides Jesus Christ. And he's referred to as the man of lawlessness. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Daniel chapter 11 refers to this this rider on the white horse, this one here in, in the first seal that we see in Revelation 6, 
as the Antichrist. He is the man of lawlessness. But the tribulation doesn't begin with war. It begins with peace. And if, if this were to happen sometime soon, we could see that this, that this peace would be based on uh, diversity, oddly enough. Uh, diversity, which is actually uh, a, a camouflage or a way to disguise a lack of freedom and a lack of diversity when it comes to thought. Uh, to be accepted in today's world, you have to go along with whatever the narrative is from the media, the government, uh, the, the thought influencers, if you will. Have you noticed that it's not good enough to be neutral in this war that just began last week between Russia and Ukraine? To be a good world citizen, you must not only be on the side of the Ukrainians, but you must affirm it. You have to change your Twitter uh, logo to the Ukrainian flag. You have to you know, do all of these things. And if you're not doing that, what, what are you some kind of a lunatic? Uh, you, you're on the side of despotism? Maybe not. <laughs> but why, why do I have to affirm these things to be accepted? It's not good enough uh, to... Uh, understand that homosexuals or people who are confused about what gender they are or what they want, it's not good enough to see them as humans and, and uh, feel sorry for them or pray for them or want them to understand God's word and God's intention for their life better. No, that's not good enough. You must affirm these things Otherwise, you are a, a racist, a bigot, a, a COVID vaccine mandate, same thing. You can't just have a neutral opinion or an opinion for yourself. You have to affirm these things or else you're a science denier. That's where we are headed on steroids, all in the, in the name of diversity. You probably can't see it, but the, our Antichrist here has a he has a tattoo on his shoulder there of a rainbow peace symbol. <laughs> I wish it were bigger so you could so you could see it. But that's what it's that's what it's all about. It's a coming together, not in not in a not joining uh, together in in a nation like the United States was founded to be a melting pot of ideas and people from various backgrounds, with our focus on one thing. You know, uh, representative government and these freedom and these kinds of things. No, it is, it is uh, people being forced to come together without any freedom of thought, only following the narrative that is determined by this man, the rider on the white horse. And that's, that is where we are, where we are headed in the West. I personally believe it's it's becoming very obvious that the world is dividing on a daily basis the world is dividing into west versus east that's what this whole thing is about or the narrative behind why we must assert our uh love and devotion to the nation of ukraine for some reason to well, i we won't go down there but 
<laughs> These people are more nationalistic towards Ukraine than they are their own nation. That's kind of the thing. We are coalescing around the Western world against the Eastern world. Did you see that the United States threatened sanctions against India in the United Nations because, because India abstained from a vote against the Russians? They didn't vote no. They abstained. The U.S. threatened sanctions against India. We've already, of course, have sanctions against the Russians. The Chinese are on the sides of the Russians. There's a very strict dividing line, west versus east. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the Antichrist is coming from the west, a revived Roman Empire. And we are on an express train to that. And we are seeing it take place right before our, right before our eyes. And here is a man who thought that he had a, a peace agreement with a very evil individual himself also uh, back about 80 years ago who went out conquering and to conquer Hitler. He had authority. He initially went out taking over countries without firing a shot. And this man, Neville Chamberlain, prime minister of England at the time, of the United Kingdom at the time, thought that he made peace. He had peace. He waved it. Uh, it, it. This is it. This is the peace. And the peace that he had wasn't really worth the paper that it was written on there. And war broke out, much like it will in the tribulation period. God has a way of foreshadowing events that will take place in the future. Hitler is a wonderful uh, example of foreshadowing of the Antichrist who is to come in the future. And oh, by the way, that was a kind of west, west and east dividing line there also. Uh, at any rate, the second seal breaks. The lamb breaks the second seal. Again, this is all God's wrath. This is God's doing. The revelation couldn't be any more clear that this is the wrath of the Lamb from the beginning. He, Jesus Christ, is the one breaking the seals. And when he breaks seal number two, a red horse comes forward holding a sword, and he is granted the right to take peace from the earth. Verse 4 says that men would slay one another as this great sword was given to him. So it begins with peace, pseudo peace or a pretend peace. Then war comes, as as is obvious, peace is taken away from the earth, it says there in verse four. And I see this as being a a, a war that is relevant to the end times. And the book of Ezekiel makes mention of a war that is very relevant to the end times. It even mentions in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that this is going to take place in the latter times. Uh, and it kind of matches up with what we see in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45, that is speaking of the, the future Antichrist and some of the things that he will, that he will do. Uh, Ezekiel the, the entire book of Ezekiel, but particularly Ezekiel chapters 36 through 39 is another great place to go to 
kind of understand some of the things that are taking place in uh, not just the book of Revelation, but that will take place in the end of time and are actually taking place right now as we speak. You want some uh, current events type of prophecy? Well, that's Ezekiel 36 and 37, where it talks about the nation of Israel being regathered to the land. We are seeing that happen uh, right now, today, as we speak. Jewish people are leaving the countries where they live and returning to the land of Israel to live there. Ezekiel uh, was told by the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at any rate, wrote about that, a return in unbelief, as it's called, to the, to the nation of Israel. And then at the end, there would be this war where nations such as Russia, Turkey, Iran, all of the all of the Stan nations of the northern uh, Caucasus and the northern Caucasus regions and all Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all of these kinds of people from that part of the world that we never think about, <laughs> along with uh, Libya and Sudan, are going to invade the nation of Israel. They're going to invade the Middle East, and that's described in in a lot of detail in Ezekiel thirty-eight and. 39. And if you, again, we, we know from the first seal in Daniel 9.27 that the Antichrist is making this treaty with Israel, it almost seems like he's on the side of Israel, along with, I would submit to you, the nations that surround Israel, like Saudi Arabia and uh, United Arab Emirates and maybe even Egypt. We've seen in recent years they're, they're, these nations are literally lining up to make treaties with the nation of Israel. And uh, some others aren't, like Turkey, like Iran, like Russia. Uh, Russia just this past week uh, made a, a condemning statement towards Israel about the Golan Heights saying, oh, that's not, that's not Israel's, that's Syria. Wow, uh, there's just a lot of interesting things happening in this world today that make Ezekiel 38 and 39 to be a, a very real possibility on the horizon. Notice this at, uh, in Daniel chapter 11, speaking of the Antichrist, in verse 40, this, this future one who will come into the world, rule over a kind of a, what we refer to as a revived Roman empire or a Western empire, he's going to come and rule over. And notice this, uh, verse 40 of Daniel 11, it says, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, the antichrist, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land. That's a reference to Israel. And many countries will fall, but these will re be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. 
but he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Notice this, verse 44. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So I see what's being described there, particularly verse 44, the Antichrist is going to be busy fighting these wars, and then he's going to hear about something from the north and from the east, some nations from the north and east coming against him. Kind of like what's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and he's going to go out and fight against them. And they will be destroyed when he does that, that the nations that come against Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will be destroyed. And I can kind of see this just possible scenario as Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia, Turkey, Iran, and the rest coming with them, invading Israel, the Antichrist uh, being in a position where he wants to fight against these nations. The Lord, it says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 intervenes, destroys Russia and her allies, but it's possible that the nation of Israel could see that take place and give the credit to the Antichrist and put their trust in him as their Messiah, really accept him as the one. He welcomes that with open arms But at the three and a half year point, he's going to set himself up as God in the temple. The Jews of faithful, believing Jews, of course, will reject that. And they will have to flee for their lives. Where do they go? Into uh, modern day Jordan, which is described in verse 41 of of Daniel 11 as Edom and Moab, these nations that escape out of the hands of the Antichrist as he's doing whatever he's doing in the Middle East, all a very complicated kind of scenario (laughs) to describe a possible end times uh, sequence of events that leads to Israel trusting in Antichrist as their Messiah, but eventually... Uh, of course, he reveals who he is, and the, and they will flee for their lives. Uh, Matthew twenty four six and seven in the Olivet Discourse. You're noticing again the Lord predicts, says what will happen: peace and safety, and then war. He does exactly the same thing as what we're seeing here in Revelation six, is described in the Olivet Discourse. So that's what we covered last week. Now, on to the new stuff. (laughs) Uh, With the third and fourth seal, we see famine and death. Notice Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. We begin with verse 5. When he broke the third seal, notice again, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage 
the oil and the wine. So this third seal is broken again by the Lord. And we see a voice coming from the center of the four living creatures. If you'll remember, what's at the center of the four living creatures is literally God's throne. Again, this is God uh, and his wrath being poured out on the world, all in an effort to get faithful Israel to believe in Jesus as Messiah. The next event after the pseudo peace after the war is this black horse that is denoting uh, very troubling times and notice that he has a scale in his hands a, a scale for essentially measuring out food for people to eat on a daily basis this is very uh, very much describing uh, very difficult economic times, if you will. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 16, using scales to weigh out food is, is a kind of a thing that happens when God is punishing the nation of Israel. Ezekiel four sixteen says, Moreover, he, the Lord, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, behold, I am going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and drink water by measure and in horror, speaking of when the Babylonians came to capture, in this instance anyway, when the Babylonians came to capture uh, Jerusalem, they're going to have to weigh out their food and notice they're drinking water by measure. They don't just go to the tap and turn on the water and get a drink whenever they want. They have to ration these things and much the same is going to happen in during the future tribulation. Again, this is a voice from God's throne. It's coming from the middle of the, the four living creatures. That's where God himself is residing. And that, notice that they have to pay a denarius for a quart of wheat and for three quarts of barley, all costs a denarius. If you remember, uh, denarii is, was uh, one day's wage, essentially. A person would work for a day, get their denarius, and that's what they had to uh, live off of, essentially. Well, a quart of wheat was enough to make the, the amount of bread that they would need for a day is what is being indicated here. So you work for an entire day and you can feed yourself uh, is what is being implied here, let alone your, your wife or your children or the people that you're responsible for. You work all day, you get enough money to feed yourself. And that's why the food is going to need to be measured out. We're going to need to ration the food is what is, is being described here. So obviously a time of, of great economic calamity that is leading to high-priced food. You think uh, food or gas and these kinds of things is getting expensive for us? Well, you haven't really seen, seen anything yet compared to what's being described here. There are a lot of examples of this throughout history or things happening that are similar to this in history, which is a great reminder to us that we, because we are believers in Jesus Christ, 
blood-bought saints who are one day going to be taken to heaven in a miraculous way in the rapture, that does not mean that we cannot undergo very similar things to what is being described here in the book of Revelation. And if we do, that doesn't mean we're in the tribulation period. Uh, Did some investigating this week and came across this, uh, no, not that, came across this photo. This is a German man in a store. Here is his literal pile of cash that he has here. And and the, the money was so inflated, inflation was so rampant at that time that they didn't take the time to count the money to buy a loaf of bread or to buy whatever was in the stores. That's what they did. There's the, the uh, kind of the, the folklore of people with wheelbarrows full of cash buying a loaf of bread. Well, there are pictures uh, available on the internet of people with wheelbarrows full of, full of cash to go, but they wouldn't just buy bread. They would buy whatever the store had. If the store had uh, pots, you would take your wheelbarrow of cash to the store that day and buy a pot in the hopes of trading it to somebody who doesn't have a pot, but they do have an onion or something along those lines. So they, they wouldn't take the time to count this pile of cash. They weighed it. This woman is putting uh, weights on a scale. To uh, Here you can see the weights on the scale. The, the weight equals an, an amount of money. They're literally weighing the cash in order to pay for the, the goods that were being bought. Uh, so that's a real thing. Were there Christians? Were there genuine Bible-believing Christians in Germany in 1920? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they were. And they were literally having to weigh out their money to get food. Uh, the, the Ukrainians were starved by the Soviet Union in the lead-up to the time of, of World War II. They cut off their grain. They literally starved these people. They had to ration food. They didn't even have food to ration, let alone weighing it on a scale. They didn't have food, which in large part describes why the Ukrainians would have sided with Nazi Germany when the Germans invaded Ukraine <laughs> A lot of the Ukrainians sided with the Nazis to fight against the Soviets. That's how much they, they loathed those people. Uh, notice also in this passage in Revelation 6 and verse 5, or at the end of verse 6, it says, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, why, why would that be? I'm not entirely certain, perhaps, it was uh, a means by which they would be able to uh, use these things for uh, money. I'm not really sure. Uh, it's talked about later in Revelation, Revelation 7 and verse 3. Uh, it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their forehead. So trees, that's where the oil is coming from. This isn't being uh, pumped out of the ground, not that kind of oil, but rather oil that comes from uh, olives and these kinds of things that grow on trees. Wine comes from grapes that grows on vines. These things weren't to be touched until, another indication of 
chronology here until the 144,000 are sealed. That's the bond servants of our God there. Uh, also, Revelation 9, 4, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So for some reason, these things are protected uh, during this time until after the 144,000 are sealed. Perhaps it's going to be some form of income for the believers or people in general. Not entirely sure why, but seal number three, nevertheless, brings this great economic upheaval to the world, which is a common occurrence in war. It's common, it has been common in the world to see peace, then war, then famine and economic difficulties. Uh, Germany, World War I is a, is a great Great example of that for one. And this could be, this economic upheaval could be a, a, a very valid reason for why people are desperate and why they will take the mark of the beast in the future so that they can buy and sell and economically exist in the world that is to come. People do very desperate things when they are, when they are hungry. And that could possibly play a role why they are willing to literally worship the Antichrist. That's what the mark of the beast is, a, a willing worship of this man who is to come in the future, why they're willing to take that so that they can perhaps avoid the consequences of this third seal, the rider on the black horse, troubling economic times. And then following that, the fourth seal, notice Revelation 6 and verse 7. Again, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So like we mentioned, have mentioned every time again, the lamb is the one who is breaking the seal. This is all God's wrath being poured out on the earth. Uh, it is a pale horse. Some, some translations will call it or an ashen horse. It's kind of a, a it's giving the color of kind of sickness, if you will, like a pale green or something along those lines. And Hades, the rider on the horse is named Death, and Hades is following after or following behind the riders. Hades, what is, what is Hades? Well, Hades is a place where unbelievers go following their death at this point in, in human history. Uh, Sheol is kind of is a place that the Old Testament and the Gospels will make reference to Sheol being a place where, where people go when they die, and it's sort of divided in half, we see from the Gospel of Luke, 
where the Lord makes a reference to this same thing, two people die, one is a believer, one is an unbeliever. The unbeliever goes to a place called Hades. Uh, uh, Luke 16, 23, making reference to the rich man, Jesus says, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So it, it was kind of split in half, Sheol, Hades, a place for unbelievers, Abraham's bosom, uh, paradise. It could be referred to as in other places in the Gospel of Luke uh, where believers go to. Now, I believe that the Bible is pretty clear that the Abraham's bosom has been emptied since uh, Christ died and that these people are in heaven at this point of time. The Bible tells us our our a uh, passage that we read this morning tells us that when we die, we don't go to Abraham's bosom, but we go to be in the, directly into the presence of the Lord. If we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. And the Lord is in heaven. He's not in Abraham's bosom. We know that he is in heaven. We can rest assured that if we physically die today as believers in Jesus Christ, we will leave this place and we will be in the presence of of the lamb, the one who will one day break these seals because he, he died for us and we will, we will be with him. However, unbelievers are still going to this place called Hades. And that's why uh, this writer is death. In other words, a massive amount of people are going to die. And when they do, they are going to be taken uh, by this guy who is symbolically there, the grim reaper, he's going to be taking them to Hades when this fourth seal is broken. And there, there are several reasons given for the deaths of these people. They are, they are killed with the sword. That's going to be warfare and uh, various other uh, violent sort of deaths. They're going to die by famine. They're going to die by disease. Uh, and they are going to die by the wild beasts of the earth. And it is going to subsequently result in a quarter of the population. Now that this number here, if you can't see all the zeros in today's world, that is 1,750,000,000 people dying at the fourth seal. This is after uh, the first seal, after the second seal, after the third seal, in the fourth seal, a quarter of the world's population is going to die. There has never been an event post-flood that is anything even approaching a quarter of the entire world's population dying. So, you know, this this could very likely be a continuation of this Ezekiel 38 and 39 war as it grows in intensity. There, that is a massive campaign that is being described there in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's not just a coming together and two weeks later, it's all over. That is, it is a, a massive coming together of troops and battles and essentially a world war that is being described there. World War II took uh, about six years of open combat for that to, to take place. And so I see, I see this 
fourth seal as being something along the lines of a continuation of that war expanding uh, in in consequence and, and influence in the world. Uh, famine, in addition to what we saw in the third seal, more famine and disease. We're not talking uh, COVID-19 here. We're talking uh, uh, death on a, on a global scale that is that is unprecedented, like uh, bubonic, like the plague of the Middle Ages, and then some on the world that was completely uh, devastating to the world at that time. This is what's being described again as taking place uh, during this time, and also by the wild beasts of the earth. Notice that these uh, preterists and and individuals who do not who are not futurists. Uh, see, will point to this verse and say, oh, see, the Jews were eaten by wild dogs. That's a historical fact. 70 AD, they died in the streets and they were eaten by dogs. This has happened as as awful as it is to think about. This has happened uh, many times uh, in history. Notice again, that's not, it's not what it says. It doesn't say that they died and then were eaten by dogs or wild beasts. No, in fact, it says that they were killed by wild beasts, that the the animals killing humans contributed to the fourth of the population, the, the world population that is going to die. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So one fourth of the world's population, if we divide the world into four equal parts and we take away one fourth, that leads a third of the world's population left. Later, we're going to see that a third of the world's population is left. That leaves us with half. Half the world's population is going to die uh, in this tribulation period here, pretty probably with definitely within the first half of the tribulation period, uh, in today's numbers, 1.75 billion people are going to die from this seal alone due to uh, war famine, pestilence, and wild beasts in this. And this is, again, something, a punishment that the Lord has used on the nation of Israel, and that is word. You know, people kind of make fun of the book of Deuteronomy, that why would you even spend time reading that book? Uh, I literally... in uh, before our church began having the ability or the the uh, opportunity to teach in another church meeting with the pastor and one of the associate pastors and like, well, what are, what are you going to talk about? Well, I thought maybe uh, the feasts coming from uh, the book of Deuteronomy and kind of some things in that and and just like literal laughter. Why in the world? Would you talk about Deuteronomy? Well, there's actually a lot of very prophetically significant things from the book of Deuteronomy, namely how God is going to bring his nation Israel into the kingdom. 
Deuteronomy 32, verse 22 says, For a fire is kindled in my anger, the Lord says, and burns towards uh, burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Uh, verse 33, I will heap misfortunes on them, Israel. I will use my arrows on them. They will be wasted by famine, consumed by plague and bitter destruction and the teeth of beasts. I will send upon them with the venom of crawling things of the dust. And of course, that happened in the book of Numbers. They were plagued by by serpents and these kinds of things, wild animals uh, God has used to punish them along with famine, disease, and war. Uh, Ezekiel verse 33 makes mention of these same, these same kinds of, of punishments being brought on the nation of Israel. The fourth seal will bring this upon the entirety of the world. War, famine, disease, and wild beasts such that a quarter of the world's population will die. So those are the cheery four horsemen of the apocalypse. Pseudo-peace, real war, famine, and death on an unprecedented scale. But notice, finally this morning, the fifth seal, faithfulness in the fire. Revelation 6, 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So the fifth seal is this great martyrdom, which by the the wording there, these people are already dead. Their souls are already in heaven so it is this is something this uh, martyrdom or this persecution against believers had already been going on during this this first seal it's not like the fifth seal is broken and then all of a sudden people are going to be persecuted john is allowed to see these when the fifth seal is broken who had already been killed or martyred I believe, during this tribulation period. These are, these are tribulation saints. If you, we, at the other hand, on the other hand, as church-age believers, will already have been raptured to heaven, given resurrection bodies. We are going to be different at this point in time than others who die during the tribulation period as we will already have a resurrected body similar to the way that Jesus Christ is in heaven now with a physical body that he got when he was resurrected. He ascended to heaven in a physical body. That's part of the reason why he uh, ate with uh, believers after he had risen from the dead. People touched him in these various uh, uh, events to show that he has a physical 
body and yet he was taken to heaven, the same thing will happen to us at the rapture of the church, which takes place before this tribulational period begins. These, it makes very clear that they are the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. These What John is seeing is some uh, manifestation of their souls in heaven following. This is what we would see or people would see on earth is uh, kind of their remains, if you will, when this, this fifth seal is broken. The, the, this is what we would refer to as tribulation saints, those who had been faithful to God and his word, to faithful to Jesus Christ during this tribulation period. They are, they are literally taking a stand for Christ and willing to give their lives because of it. And of course, this is something else that has happened throughout history. Since the, the very earliest uh, days of the church, we see Acts chapter 7, Stephen being a martyr, giving his life for the, the uh, what does it specifically say? Because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. That's Stephen. He gave his life because of the word of God and his faithfulness to the testimony uh, of it. And that is a good indication. Why are these people dying? They are dying because of, notice that again, that they are slain because of the word of God. These people are being slain and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Make no mistake that the word of God is very offensive to people. That's, that's, kind of the point. Uh, Sin is very offensive to a holy and righteous God. Of course, his word is going to be offensive to us. Uh, The Bible tells us what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Satan hates that. Satan loves ambiguity. Satan loves for me to decide what's right for me and to stand on that no matter what God's word says. That's the way he wants us to live. What's right for you is good for you. And what's right for this person over there is good for them. And thou shalt not judge their decision-making. Well, that's, sorry, that's not the way the world is. God created this world and he reveals in his word what is right and what is wrong. And we as uh, fallen, fallible humans are offended by that. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That ought to get our attention. God's word reveals to us God's thinking 
about essentially what is right and what is wrong in this world. And we as fallen human beings are open and laid bare by God's word and unbelievers hate that truth. And in the tribulation time, this fifth seal is revealing to us that uh, they will kill people because of what God's word says and that you as a believer, not you, we will be out of here, but uh, the believers at that time uh, will be killed because of their belief in what God's word says. Again, this has happened in the past. It is literally happening today in places like Syria and Iraq and Iran. Believers are being killed for their belief in God's word. It could very likely happen. Uh, If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times to Suzanne, so I'll reveal it to you here today and to the world. I personally believe that if the powers that be today in our country, in this world, had it the way they wanted it to be, they would be killing us for our beliefs and our uh, holding to the truths of God's word. So, if Christians start getting martyred tomorrow in America because of what they believe, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are in the tribulation. Why? Uh, well, because like Paul says in Second Thessalonians, uh, we're not in the day of the Lord because the Antichrist isn't here. We haven't had the pseudo peace. We haven't had the war. We haven't had the famine. We haven't had a quarter of the world's population die. Uh, Therefore, we're probably not in this fifth seal either. But it could, but uh, so it's going to be on a worldwide scale what is being described here. This uh, people being so offended by the truth of God's word that they're willing to kill uh, those who are faithful to it. And because of the testimony which they had maintained, these people are living for the Lord as we should be doing today, as Paul was doing, that he wrote about in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, But for him who died and rose on their behalf, these people are unwilling to deny Jesus Christ even to the point of death. And and according to 2 Corinthians 5, that's the way we ought to be living today as well, knowing that nothing can separate us from God and from the love of God. Romans 8.31, Paul says, Uh, in wrapping up that one of the most incredible sections of the entire Bible, the first eight chapters of Romans, laying out very clearly that all people have sinned and that all people can come to salvation through faith in Christ, not via works, but through believing in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered to live a life that is... Uh, pleasing to the Lord who died for us. And so what should we conclude? 
Romans 8, 31, that what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Not even Vladimir Putin can be against us. Not, he can't hold a candle to the Lord of the universe. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So these believers face a, a persecution that is extremely intense. We too could face persecution that is real and intense, but Jesus Christ has overcome this world and we can rest in him. And another indication that these aren't believers uh, is that they want vengeance. We're not supposed to want vengeance. Oh, by the way, vengeance is from the Lord. Uh, Stephen being a great example, he doesn't pray for vengeance to come on these people who are putting him to death. He prays that they would be saved, essentially. The Lord did the same thing. These are told to wait. They are given a white robe and an appeal for patience. Uh, and we very much need the same thing. We have been given this same white robe. We will receive it uh, one day in the future as a testimony that we are in Christ, that his righteousness has saved us, and we too should be patient waiting for him to uh, come again for us. These, these believers who are giving their life in the tribulation period, will also rule and reign with the Lord, according to Revelation 20 and verse 4. And they're essentially told to uh, look forward to that day when they will rule and reign with him. So uh, what is to be our takeaway for us, why does any of this matter for us? We're going to be taken out of here in a pre-tribulation rapture before any of this begins. Uh, well, the fact of the matter is that we can face very similar uh, persecution and tribulations in this life to what these will face in the future. Looking for, We sh ought to be looking forward to the day when Christ will come again and take us to heaven. Tribulation saints are told to be looking forward to the day when Christ comes down to the earth and rescues them. Similar, but not the same. Uh, just like so many things in 
the Bible. We're looking forward to being caught up. They're looking forward to Jesus coming down and establishing his kingdom. But we are to be faithful in very much the same way that they are told to be. Notice Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that we, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So just like these who are faithful in the tribulation period, undergoing intense persecution, we too are to be faithful to the Lord in the time that we have. So the tribulation period begins with uh, pseudo peace, quickly turns to warfare, and then economic upheaval and famine follow that, followed by death from more war, more famine, more pestilence, even wild animals uh, coming upon people And during all of that, there is a faithful remnant who are willing to give their lives for the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this ancient text that tells us so much about the future. And I pray, Lord, that it would uh, be a wake-up call to us living in the church age that we may not face these exact judgments in the future, but we don't have to look very far into the news to see that there are those uh, in the world who are facing the consequences of warfare and economic difficulties and famine and disease and even martyrdom, uh, even in this world that we are living in today. And may we, even though we may be comfortable in our homes and in our lives here in America, I pray that we would not be complacent because of that, but we would be diligent to live lives that are pleasing to you, looking forward to you coming again for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.